Go ahead and pick your speed up. You're number one now. Runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Green Dot, coming to you from EAA's headquarters here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'm Hal Bryan. I'm Senior Editor for Print and Digital Content and Publications. And joining me, as always, is... I'm Chris Henry, EA Museum Programs Representative. And across the table... Tom Sharpentier, Government Relations Director. All right, Tom, uh, there's a guy sitting next to you. Don't make eye contact, whatever you do. <laughs> tell, us, uh, tell us who's joining us today, who our buddy is. So uh, Dennis Dunbar is our Director of Air Venture Air Show Operations. Um, this will be actually his uh, fifth air venture on staff here at EAA. And in addition to running uh, our air show, he also uh, contracts with other air shows around the country. So he has the, uh, uh, the very unique and enviable job of uh, basically being a professional air show runner. Uh, and we're really interested to, uh, to hear a little bit about um, uh, what he does and, uh, and how uh, air venture kind of comes together. Uh, and just on a personal note, um, We've worked together on a bunch of different uh, projects, related, usually related to uh, to Air Venture, uh, and he's just a blast to work with. Uh, he is an awesome addition to the uh, EAA team, and uh, we're really uh, happy to have him here on the podcast to talk a little bit about uh, what he does for us. So welcome, Dennis. Well, thanks, Tom. I appreciate that. That's great to have you. So uh, let's hear the Dunbar story. <laughs> let's let's dive deep. How long um, have we got? <laughs> exactly. This will be a special eight-part episode. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, and uh, and a family family friendly. Absolutely. <laughs> what uh, what's your aviation background? How did you uh, first get involved in aviation? Well, it's funny. I actually don't have any family really with any aviation background except for a great uncle that flew B-25s in World War II. But he never spoke of it. When he came back, he was one of those that just kept those stories with him. Wow. But uh, it was the summer of 1986. I was 10 years old. That was a good year for aviation. Yes, we had, it was. Uh, um, Top Gun had come out. Well, more importantly than Top Gun, Dennis, come on. What other movie came <laughs> Iron out? Iron Eagle, buddy. Iron <laughs> Eagle. Yes. And you could deal with me, Doug, Doug Masters. Masters. Chappie Sinclair. Yes. So, this uh, one's for you, Chappie. Uh, Top Gun came out. I went to my first air show that summer, and I had my first airplane ride. And from that, I was hooked. My dad took me to the Mount Comfort Air Show in Indianapolis in 1986. It was the last year the Blue Angels flew the A-4s. And um, my dad was awesome. Think of, uh, think of a uh, Sheriff Andy Taylor <laughs> mixed with a little John Candy from the Great Outdoors and Chevy Chase from the Vacation. That was my father. Wow. And, so I see uh, where you get it. Yeah. <laughs> that all makes a lot of sense. He's a great man, but he had no patience for traffic. Uh, he was a police officer. And... Uh, I never saw the fourth quarter of a game. So we're at this first air show. I'm in heaven. It's just fantastic. I'm blown away. And I've already decided this is what I want to do. Um, and he says, Denny, that's what he called me, let's go. The Blue Angels hadn't flown yet. Oh, my and gosh. So I, this 10-year-old boy just throws this big fit. And, you know, I'm in the police car and we're driving out. And there used to be a hill. Uh, coming into the Mount Comfort Airport. They've leveled it since. And he finally, he pulled over on that hill, and it turned out to be on the run-in line. And uh, so we're watching the Blue Angel show from essentially the parking lot, you know. <laughs> and uh, But I'm up on this hill, and I remember him telling me, kind of pointing to look back, and I look. And remember, this is 1986. A lot of things have changed. But 
Blue Angel 5 wasn't 50 feet off the deck, knife edge, coming on that ingress line. And I remember that gold helmet and that gold visor, and he waved to me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. And that that was it. That was, that was done. <laughs> so um, aviation has been a part of my life ever since. You know, I pumped gas and started learning to fly in high school. And, you know, that's how I tried to, you know, work my way through um, college and I went to Indiana State University as a pilot major there as an Air Force ROTC. Um, was doing really well with that, but unfortunately um, found out that I couldn't go in the military. So that kind of devastated me because my plan was to fly in the military and then do air shows. Um, fortunately, the summer before my freshman year of college, a flight instructor where I was at, um, came up to me and another guy I worked with, Jeff Nelson, and said, hey, I'm going to go up to Oshkosh. Call your parents and see if you can come with me. You're going to need to grab some things. We're going to spend the night and, you know, all that. And boy, was I stoked. So my parents fortunately said yes, and I, I went up with this man named Jack Levy and his V-tail bonanza, and we flew into Oshkosh. And I remember leaving there saying, I want to be a part of this someday. <laughs> so to be here, and particularly in the role I'm in now, I, I, I am blessed. I'm living my dream. So it's pretty cool. Um, when I graduated college, not having that military option, I didn't know what I was going to do. I did not want to fly uh, airlines and things like that. So um, I ended up... Um, running the flight school for Indiana, Indiana State University there at Palma Field and got kind of promoted through some things. And while I was running all of that, our airport director, and the airport actually owned the flight school, um, I pitched to him having an air show, and he went for it. The man's name was Charlie Goodwin. He's at the Columbus Rickenbacker Airport now and just a great man. And he uh, he let me do this. Now, I'm like a 20 nothing. You know, year old, no experience in the world. But man, I'd been playing an air show since I was 10 years old. I remember, you know, not paying attention in uh, high school. Um, and this teacher came over to get my attention and she's like, What's this? And I explained, you know, I had a show sequence that, you know, my imaginary <laughs> air shows, right? So Charlie gave me that first opportunity. And I, so I, I ran my first air show in Terre Haute, Indiana. And and it was fun. It was great. Everything went well, and um, it was pretty awesome. So, unfortunately, a couple of years later, uh, Charlie decided to move on uh, to a bigger airport and better things, and um, they were looking for a new airport director, and I'd been asked if I wanted to do that, and I, uh, I really didn't want the job, but I came to find out that person most likely to get it didn't like air shows. So... Uh -huh. I said, well, I better, uh, I better do something about this. So I put my hat in the ring, and they asked me to run an airport, which was a real big mistake because now they got a young guy who never took an airport uh, admin class. I was a pilot major running an airport. Um, but, but you were we doing it for the air show fans, show. right? <laughs> yeah. You took one for the team. Actually, it wasn't that bad, and I learned a lot doing that job. It was actually pretty cool, but. Uh, the passion really was for air shows, and as the Terre Haute show got more successful, I was asked to help put on some other events, so I was using all vacation time to go around the country, and I started flying some warbirds and started airbossing some other shows and started helping other shows run their shows, and um, a gentleman named Mike McCabe asked if I wanted to get out of the airport world and start doing it for a living, so I became a partner in a company called Air Support. I was a partner with him for many years running air shows across the country. 
And, uh, but in 2012, that kind of came to an end about the same time that Joe Schumacher was looking for a replacement in his job here. And Joe uh, asked if I would be interested. I think I about lost my mind when I got a call from Joe saying if I'd be interested in coming up here and talking to some folks. And uh, that's when I was hired by EAA. And uh, boy, it's been a blast uh, just to be a part of this team and uh, the volunteers and everyone involved. It's just, it's fantastic. I am living the dream. Well, we were we were joking before we started recording that, uh, you know, you and I have been friends. We've all been friends since you've been here. But uh, I was surprised to hear it's only been five years. You really are sort of an institution around here. And, you know, absolutely, Joe Schumacher certainly was. I mean, no disrespect to him and his career. But it is also, day to day, it's almost hard to remember a, a time when there wasn't a Dunbar running around here <laughs> doing, uh, doing what he does. Um, you mentioned the term a moment ago uh, when you were uh, partnered with, uh, partnered in the other, the airshow company, so you did some airbossing. Mm-hmm. Can you define what an airboss is for us real quick? Well, the airboss basically takes the, kind of like the director of a movie. They take the script that the airshow organizer and all the cast of characters and everyone has put together and they take the plan that someone like me would, in this role, will create and then execute it uh, as far as, you know, launching the aircraft, deconflicting, keeping the airspace safe for those that are performing. They're kind of the air traffic controller, if you will, of the air show, um, but in a more entertaining fashion. So as an air boss, you're able to do things that the FAA can't do as far as separation and things like that. Uh, and that's a... That's a uh, definite uh, one of the most important positions in this industry. So, so <clears throat> you mentioned uh, air traffic control, but but more entertaining. Um, generally speaking, air traffic control should not be entertaining. <laughs> That's right. It should be uh, well, for professional, example, straightforward. But uh, you know, you're asking about some of the other things that I've done, and yeah. the, you know, we've done. Uh, our company's been involved to do so. We. We have a heckler. Yes, we do. Forgive us, folks. This is a, we're not used to performing in front of a live studio audience, yeah. but yeah. Uh, um, an unnamed uh, CEO and chairman of the board, we'll call him Jack, uh, just stuck his head in and uh, was uh, was making faces trying to derail the process, which he which he uh, has done, clearly. Anyway, so, uh, so Dennis. And uh, so we'll, we'll go in sometimes to like Super Bowls or other large events, and we're able to manage traffic in a way that the FAA typically can't. So it's pretty cool. So, uh, so Chris, with your background as a controller, uh, an air traffic controller, you, uh, you avoided uh, entertaining situations, generally speaking, <laughs> I, right? I, I, yeah. Entertaining usually meant I was going to go home and have beer afterwards. Right. So oh, if I had an entertaining day at work, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, Dennis, that has to be a massive job here to do i mean to to be the boss for that show it is but there's a there's a wonderful team that helps bring it all together from the staff you know all these collaborative meetings that we have putting things together the features and attraction side of what we do is such a team effort led by the chief heckler himself yes the heckler in chief <laughs> who's now I mean, peering in through another window Jack of, of and the studio i'm not there, just yeah. saying this because i don't think he can hear me now but right. um i mean he really rolls up his sleeves and gets into the planning process sure and collaborates with us uh, rick larson sean elliott myself dick canusa our ground ops director uh i could be listing names forever it really is a team effort 
to put these. Chris, uh, you've come up on with some phenomenal ideas and some things that we're getting to do this year um, with the B-25s and the Apollo era stuff. I mean, it, it really, there's so much talent at EAA, they'd be ashamed just to have a few people responsible for everything. So we spread that out. Our volunteers play a role in this, not just in the planning, but certainly in the execution of all this. Um, you know, tonight we've got a conference call with all our air ops team and update them on the crazy things to expect this year. You know, we're, uh, we've got some new things in the pipe um, that are going to take a lot of work by the volunteers that all come together and work so hard to make this what it is. Excellent. Dennis, uh, were, you, were you here for the, uh, for the Jetman year? Was, was I was. That, that was your yeah. first year, right? Uh, was it first year or second? Maybe, yeah, for, maybe first or second. But I, I remember uh, that was probably where my role in, in government advocacy has probably touched yeah. the, uh, the air venture uh, side the most because of the – it was just – it was just such a unique and bizarre process we had to go through to get him. At one point, I think it. we might have actually, it, it was looking like we were going to have to have him f take a multi-engine check ride in our Aztec yeah. so that he could fly his four-engine jet wing at the show. He was ultimately, you know, we had to get him an end number. We had to get him a fast card. We had to get him a, which uh, is like a formation qualification. Oh, sure. uh, we had to get him... I mean, certified as an aircraft and a, a pilot. Yeah. And uh, I tell you what, the Milwaukee FISDO is an amazing FISDO to work with. Um, you know, generally across the country, all the FISDOs are good, but they're certainly not created equal. And um, Milwaukee, oh, my goodness, we've been blessed by the folks that have been there and that really partner with us to work to do some of the things that make AirVenture – have those only in Oshkosh experiences. Yeah. Uh, if they weren't willing to really get into this, and that went up to the AFS 800 level, and we had uh, a lot of involvement, National Air Show Coordinator, and to make it all work, but, you know, that FISDO could have shut that down at any moment. And yeah. they don't. They work with us to achieve these really cool things that people can see in Oshkosh. So just to translate a few of those uh, of those terms for oh. some of our uh, some of our, our listeners who may not be as familiar with uh, uh, with with aviation with our world, um, basically, in most countries, uh, and this was uh, if, if any of you are familiar with uh, Jetman, it's a gentleman named Eve Rossi who's uh, who's from Switzerland. I think he's a Swiss yeah. national, and uh, he designed this carbon fiber wing that that he puts on his body. So his body is actually really kind of part and parcel of this aircraft. Um, he uses his hands to control the flight of the, uh, of the jet wing. It's got four little jet engines on it. And then he lands on a parachute, which means that in most countries, he's a skydiver and that's the end of the discussion. But in the, in, in the U S the FAA has a rule uh, that if you have positive lift, you are no longer a skydiver. So at that point, He's an airplane, and we have to go through the licensing process to get him certified, uh, I mean, literally him certified, well, his, his wing anyway, as an airplane, and then get him qualified to fly it. And we were working quite a bit with uh, the Milwaukee uh, Flight Standards District Office, or FISDO, and then really all the way up the chain uh, to the top policy offices in, in Washington to make that happen. So that was a, 
a very unique experience and, and certainly an only an Oshkosh kind of thing. He only flew in a few places uh, in the U.S. that year uh, when he came to tour. But uh, it was a it was a unique experience uh, from a from a policy side and uh, and hopefully uh, uh, the spectator it, it allowed the spectators to see something uh, that they might not have ever seen before. But that was a that was a very uh, Fun time. That was one of my one of the first things I did. I think on staff in the uh, in the government role. So Tom, just curious, at any point did Eve actually get his end number tattooed somewhere on his body? <laughs> just uh, and, and would the letters have to be, you know, twelve inch high? Do you have it on his back or something? We like were that? actually at one point joking about uh, making sure that we were being compliant with FAA rules on life limited parts for your aircraft <laughs> and, uh, and and other things like that. Wow! I yeah. never saw the so, B seventeen flying formation with. A guy. Yeah, that, that was, was pretty kinda, amazing. If you haven't seen those wild. photos uh, yeah. or the video of uh, Jetman flying alongside our B-17, it's amazing. From the spectator's perspective, it was, you know, he, he was about 2,500 feet the whole time. So it was kind of hard to see. But I think folks came away with, we just saw history. Right. Um, and the Jumbotron's the helped. Jumbotron stuff, the productions that went with the videos of him flying formation, it was absolutely worth the effort to bring that there. And um, pretty cool. It was neat. One of the coolest things my takeaway from Jetman was you know we sold those inflatable wings <laughs> yes and I came home one day air venture just wrapped up and my kids were running around the yard with their jet pack or with their <laughs> jet jet man wings. wings on like you know they got it you know it was they're inspired and that was that was that cool, was cool. Yeah, and I've even seen those in in, in uh, subsequent years, maybe even last year. Um, there are still there are still kids running around with those. So that's uh, <laughs> well, we had a lot left over, so I bought a whole bunch of them when they were cheap. My kids are going to be running around with those on their, on their wedding day. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's just the thing for the well dressed uh, bride yeah. and groom. Yeah, black jet wing uh, event. Yes, exactly. <laughs> black tie, black jet wing. Yeah, it's funny. Just as a quick aside, talking about Jetman needing the end number, um, there's a guy out there named Jonathan Trapp who uh, flies cluster balloons, which is uh, basically either a backpack or sling chair of some kind, and then a bunch of brightly colored uh, helium balloons, I, you know, 30, 40 of them, something like that. And he is the only one, at least as of when he was here in uh, 2010, he was the only one we know of that actually has an end number. But it's, it's very strange for him because his end number is just a sign that he carries, sort of carries with him. And whatever he sort of assembles, like normally, like I said, it's kind of like a sling chair. And I actually got to go on a tethered flight of that uh, uh, that first year he was here. Um, and uh, so I've got cluster balloon time in my logbook because it was the only one only one in the thing. So <laughs> darn it, I was in command. Um, and then uh, after he reeled me back in, then he got in it and then took off and flew for 16 hours overnight and crossed Lake Michigan. Just, just nothing but effectively a backpack with a bunch of helium balloons tied to it. But then a couple of years later, uh, they did, uh, I think National Geographic came along and wanted to sort of recreate the scene from uh, the Pixar movie Up, where the house flies hmm. uh, with all the balloons. And so they built a little replica, you know, they got their plywood whenever these built a little replica house, you know, big enough for a couple of guys to sort of wander around in. Got all the balloons on it and, and flew it, and the, but the last thing they did was had to put the end number over the door because now, now it, was, it was the house that was the aircraft. But uh, and if you it, haven't figured it out already, an N number is uh, the registration number that the FAA gives out to an airplane. It's basically a license plate for an airplane. But unusual to sort of carry it from uh, from thing to thing. It's normally just painted on the side. So 
Yeah, and you know, this year uh, we talked about different things that are coming in here. And from year to year, we have jet teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that change the the complexity or the setup for the show? Like, you know, this year we're having Sig- the Blue Angels. Significant changes. Um, you know, bringing the Thunderbirds in in 2014. That was the first time we've had a U.S. jet team here at Oshkosh. Uh, Snowbirds last year, Blue Angels this year. Uh, Probably the biggest uh, head scratcher that pops out at you when you have the jet team is, how are we going to fit this aerobatic box in here? And that's always been the problem with getting a jet team is that we don't have the space necessary to have a sterile aerobatic box. And what an aerobatic box is is essentially a sterile area in which those aircraft can perform aerobatics. It's this implementation of the aerobatic box some 60 years ago that has uh, is the reason why uh, the air show industry, um, which is under different rules than air races, but the air show industry hasn't had a spectator fatality in North America in over 60 years. And that's a record as an industry we're very proud of. Um, the Based on the different category aircraft that are flying, the box grows accordingly. So a, an aircraft like Sean Tucker, my Goulian, those are Cat 3 aircraft that have to do their aerobatic performances 500 feet from the crowd. And that's a Cat 3 show line, and um, their box is a certain size. As you go up in performance, an aircraft like a P-51 or a T-6 Texan II, uh, the turboprop version, those are Cat 2 aircraft that have to fly on a 1,000-foot line. So their show line is a 1,000 feet from the spectators or what we call the crowd line. Then the Cat 3 aircraft are 1,500 feet out. The FAA does have an option where you can waive it to 1,200 feet, but certain criteria have to be in place, which fortunately we meet. So we are able to exercise that option where our box is only 2,700 feet deep and it's 12,000 feet long for the Blue Angels and Thunderbirds. That requires us to sterilize neighborhoods and businesses on the east side of the airport. And this, sorry, when you say sterilize, it sounds like we're going in there we're like with napalm and we're raising these things. They just have it really to just be means we have to have no people, no people in, there, in there temporarily. Temporarily. They are welcome to come back. They are welcome after to this is but during, like while the Blue Angels fly, we have to evacuate the neighborhood and those buildings of any unessential personnel. And really, the only essential personnel are those on the teams and the crash fire rescue guys, you know, very limited folks that make sense to be out there in the box. So that um, is certainly a a limiting factor in what we can do at Oshkosh. And um, it's not something that we're going to see a lot of in the future. I think it's great. We've got the Thunderbirds in. We've had the Snowbirds recently. Now we have the Blue Angels for the first time coming this year. But um, it takes a lot of work. You know, we have to push our crowd line back to the speaker line to accommodate that, and there's an impact. So now that we've done it, we're going to slow down a bit in the future on the jet team side of things. And uh, not to say we're not going to have them, but it's just going to be a while. Um, the snowbirds require a smaller box. They don't have to go as long, so we don't have to evacuate the neighborhoods in their case. So that, um, you know, that's an option. We may see the snowbirds a little more often to, you know, before we invite an American jet team back to Oshkosh. Uh, Dennis, quickly, would you – 
in your opinion, is the, the Snowbirds box smaller because they're flying slower airplanes? and they're, they've, So they're able to maneuver in tighter spaces even though they're a larger formation? That, that's part of it. There's some other factors probably bore people with, but um, there is that. Um, so there's so that's one of the reasons. And another reason, going back to that safety record thing, that we have the the record that we do is because we don't allow aerobatic energy directed at the crowd. Um, so like in 1985 at Ramstein Air Force Base, what you saw there, that maneuver is not allowed at a North American air show in Canada or the United States anyhow. Um, so, um, you know, it, we, we want to do things first and foremost safe all the time. And, but we also want to be entertaining in the way we do it. And I think we've struck a good balance. Um, really excited about this year's show. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, there's been a little bit of, um, you know, a, a healthy debate, I think, about, you know, where these jet teams kind of fit into the nature of AirVenture, and, and I think it, it is a, uh, I, I don't know, I, I think, you know, watching the Thunderbirds a few years ago, nothing kind of replaces that just, you know, force ship, full afterburner, hit you in the chest, take off, and that's a nice little treat every once in a while, and, and certainly the Snowbirds last year were just an absolutely beautiful aerobatic ballet. I'd never, I, I, I never had the privilege of seeing that before. That was, that was really great. This kind of circles back a little bit to what we were talking about before uh, about, um, you know, what's the role of the, uh, the, the air boss, what's the role of the air show director and, and things like that. Operationally, how does it work uh, when we do close the airspace here at Oshkosh and, um, and, and transfer control? Does it, does it basically the tower is out of the picture at that point, right? And then it kind of goes down to the, uh, uh, to to your your team at uh, at Airshow Center. That's right, but there's still a lot of coordination with air traffic that takes place during the show. They they do keep folks in the tower that are talking to radar, so we know you know if we have any potential intruders or if we have some aircraft that we're expecting, be it a flyover or the FAA administrator that you get to work with uh, that comes in. Um, they give us heads up on that, and they have a person on what we call rooftop, where our airboss works from, a trailer out at the show center point that uh, liaises, liaises in the in that case. Um, they, uh, but once that positive exchange of control of the airspace in the airport is made, yeah, that airboss is responsible for all the flight operations that are going on during wavered times. So on a day-to-day basis, what do you think is the biggest challenge in coordinating all this? Besides working with us. Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. The, the, the three of us specifically. And Jack. I mean, you, we, and, yeah. The heckler in chief, yeah. wherever he may be right now. At Oshkosh, I think it's the overall scope of it. It's just um, there's, there's nothing that's too complicated. Um, you know, last year, the Martin Mars took a considerable amount of time and planning to sure. uh, handle the logistics of a plane unlike we've seen at Oshkosh before. Um, so you got some that will take time away, but those are what makes this job enjoyable, those special challenges that everyone gets involved in and watching the team come together. You know, in that case, we brought folks from the seaplane base involved, which we don't work with in the air show side very much. Uh, so, you know, that's rewarding. Overall, it's just the pure, you know, typically we have an air show for a weekend, a couple of days, and it's the same performers for that whole show. Here, we've got nine 
air shows, two night shows, seven day shows. And now these things we're adding into the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday with every show is different. And that is the ultimate challenge. And it's, it's really cool to be able to put all that together. So someone can come every day and see a different show. I love it. So uh, if our fans uh, want to see a uh, Dennis Dunbar production somewhere else other than Oshkosh, uh, where could they go? What other shows do you do? Well, I used to do a lot more shows than I do now. Uh, I've had to cut back because Oshkosh takes so much time. But the uh, and that's all right. I love it. Um, but uh, I've done some already this year. I got to work with the Patrol de France this year, which was really cool as they did their American tour they haven't done in 30 years. Um, but coming up, it's... Uh, We've got Sacramento in September, uh, doing a brand new show at the Atlanta Motor Speedway in October. Um, there's a, there's a couple other shows in between there, but we'll keep this focused on EAA. So it's, you know, speaking of uh, just just air shows overall, and uh, and then putting on the fact that we've got nine shows to fill. It's it's. I, I know that I've just never actually thought about that actual number. That's pretty remarkable, and the fact that every show is different. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about how do we how do we select who performs at Oshkosh? Well, I we, imagine everybody there are a lot of people want to. You know, we're already working down the road. We're looking at you know what's going to be some of the key features for 2020. We're talk, talking about already. So when 2017's over, we yeah at this point we quit work worrying about future shows. And uh, we focus. We got to get 17. through this one. <laughs> but when 17's over, we pull back out those notes for 18 as a team that I discussed earlier, and we go through what makes sense to bring in as kind of those anchor acts for that year. Then in the kind of September October time frame, I start putting straw schedules together. We have a committee, uh, Oshkosh advisory team, that's made up of industry-leading performers, uh, an air boss, uh, the ICAST representation, uh, industry representation that is is just some of the most respected names in the business. And we go through my list. And, um, and I wish people could see the stack of papers. That you we actually have there. a list there, yeah. There is actually and, a big list. It looks, well, it looks very nicely organized and, and color-coded. And I will have something like this for 18 that we will go through. And um, I throw out my suggestions and what I want to do. And then the team can say, hey, you know, uh, this might not be a good idea for some reason or another. This person is doing something a little strange. Or have you thought of this person? And as that team, we come together. They're an outside source. Anytime someone else can look at what you're doing, it's a good thing. You know, um, when I was running that airport, I would drive in that airport entrance every day, and you don't notice that those signs are starting to deteriorate and those kind of things. And that's what that Oshkosh advisory team does for us. It's that outside perspective that helps keep us on our game and challenges us to do bigger and better things. Sure. Then we go to, in December every year, there's the ICAST convention. Right, and that's uh, International Council of Air Shows? International Council of okay. Air Shows. It's in Vegas every year. We go there, and I've usually informed the majority of the acts by then that we want them to come to Oshkosh in a informal, is that a word? Invite. Um, and then we kind of solidify that there, but then we'll still add acts and, you know, as time goes by. 
So a friend of mine that used to bring me here, Claire, always, uh, I mean, we'd be leaving. Oshkosh would be in the rearview window. And he'd always, you know, start the conversation on the way home with, you know, what was the coolest thing you saw? What's the best thing you saw? Um, and it sort of led into, you know, what was your favorite thing about Oshkosh every year? So can you tell us a little bit about what what's your favorite part of Oshkosh? And what do you think some of the highlights of this year are going to be? So honestly, what my favorite part about Oshkosh every year, and it hasn't changed since I was, you know, going into my freshman year of college, it's still, even though the grain is in employee as I am now it's that feeling there's no word for it still haven't figured out a word for it but it's that feeling that is Oshkosh and those of you that are listening that have been here you know what I'm talking about absolutely um that is still absolutely the best thing now having the role I have I love the reaction you know last year we brought in that paradigm aerobatic team and that was way outside the box. They'd never flown, you know, together before. They'd never flown in America before. We brought these guys in. They bust. These are young folks. The oldest one on the team was 25. They had an 18-year-old on there. But they're the wow. best in the world at what they did. And this was a, a, pow- a, a formation-powered paraglider aerobatic team. That's right. And um, the work, watching these young folks come together and putting this on. And I was – I. We gave them we gave them the opportunity, but I was all over them along the way because this was this was you know we do a lot of new things at Oshkosh, but they're all vetted and involved you know. So watching them go through that was pretty awesome. There were some folks I think even at EAA that might have been a little skeptical of what we were doing. <laughs> that crowd reaction, they were blown away by it. Absolutely, and that made that was a great feeling. I love when that crowd cheers. I love when they seem surprised. I love when they're hooked. When you see a kid get hooked, that's the best part of this job. That's the absolute best part. Um, You know, everyone in the industry turns around on those sneak passes that the jet teams make and watch the kids um, and watch their reaction. And Oshkosh, we got so many opportunities to do that. I love it. Well, and what do you think uh, going forward? What do you think is going to be the head turners this year at Oshkosh? Well, I can't talk about one thing yet that's <laughs> killing me. I'm ready to. But bombers, oh my goodness, this is really the year of the bomber. You know, we've got both B-29s and uh, B-17s, and we've got you know, the Doolittle 16 B-25s, and we've got all these great Warbird bombers coming up. Um, obviously, the Blue Angels are going to excite folks. The um, F-35 is going to be flying the Heritage flight uh, here. That'll be cool for a lot of folks that haven't seen it fly yet. I'm excited about the the variety uh, of this year's show. I think we hit on a lot of different things, the anniversaries. Everything from the Spirit of St. Louis flying to the, uh, you know, we've got some cool electric aircraft that on Innovations Day are going to be featured. Um, Boy, when we look through this schedule, I think there's going to be something that surprises somebody every day. A a great takeaway. Let's Uh, hope you're never surprised. But everybody (laughs) else can be surprised, right? So... 
Actually, we got time for a funny story. There's always time for a funny story. This isn't good. I'm not happy about it. But last well, then. year. <laughs> Everybody the, stop listening, please. Yeah. Last Let's year, pause. the Super Hornet demo team was, uh, one of them was making a joke about, like, when all the pyro and all the stuff was going off and some of the passes that I don't flinch. <laughs> and it was just in passing. I didn't think much of it. And um, on Saturday night, or was it Wednesday night? We flew the F eighteen demo. Uh, whatever night show. I think was. that was that was Wednesday because we did the Pearl Harbor stuff. That's right. I, I got to help with a little bit. Then we did the final countdown pass. Another eighties movie. So no, throwback. it was Saturday. Oh, night then it was Saturday. With the it was with demo. the national anthem. Okay. And on Saturday, another part of my job. It's not just the air show. I'm responsible for the other flight operations that go right. on here. And I, I missed a portion of the uh, briefing. Uh, the performer briefing for the night show because I was out on the field dealing with the situation. And um, the guys thought it was really funny. I had planned for this Super Hornet to come in from the ride and for some other stuff to happen on the national anthem. It was going to be a surprise, but it was, we, we were announcing that it was departing, going back to Oceania, that we're going to come back and do this demo, and it was going to be great. Well, they mixed it up on me, and uh, the F 18 came from the back. <laughs> and um, the uh, and the timing was a little off. If you remember, it was the land of the free, flyover, home right. of the brave. Yeah. Nobody was expecting that at that time. I'm still <laughs> looking to the right, thinking he's going to be late. <laughs> and I jumped out of my skin. And they got it all on video, and you know, wow. and, yeah. So, so that's the first sneak pass that you've fallen for, and no, since you were a I'm, kid, right? <laughs> no, no, well, not since I was a kid, certainly. Yeah. But you get a little like, I don't say jaded. That sounds. I'm definitely not jaded, but no. you've seen it a lot, you know, so right. you know what to expect. Well, you're behind the curtain. Yeah, <laughs> but the uh, but they got me. They got me good on that one. But I don't like surprises. <laughs> <laughs> You're here. All right. Well, Dennis, thanks so much for taking some time to uh, to sit with us today and talk through this stuff. This has been a, a an enlightening episode, certainly for me, and I think for all of us. Um, so uh, so thanks again for taking that time. And uh, while we're talking about thanking people, big uh, big thanks to uh, our senior intern Ty, who's uh, grinning over there across the room. He's the one who's going to slave away in the edit bay and and uh, and chop this monstrosity down into something uh, that sounds professional um which hopefully we're not giving you too much work he's shaking his head so that means we need to start swearing more <laughs> i'm sure that's <laughs> i'm sure that's ex- <laughs> i'm sure that's exactly what that means uh chris henry uh, <laughs> use your cell phone All number let's go yes to, complaints yeah. go to chris <laughs> thanks as always to everybody out there who's taking the time to give us some feedback whether replying on our blog posts or uh, uh, where we announce each episode or on uh, facebook or twitter when we put that info out uh reviews on uh and ratings on itunes and google play are uh not only greatly appreciated and uh, i would say they're they're desperately needed so if you have a moment please head over there give us a review let us know what you think what you like what you don't like and uh, keep the feedback coming. You can always send feedback uh, to uh, feedback at eaa.org. Uh, that's, uh, that's a good way to get straight to us. And uh, otherwise, thanks to uh, everyone for listening. Thanks again to our guests. Uh, thanks once more to Ty for his patience in editing. And with that, we'll see you next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot. Great job, Lumpenau.